0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hope for Chronic Pain podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Katinka Vandermeer. Dr. Katinka grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, as the daughter of a successful chiropractic doctor. She followed in her father's footsteps and graduated from Parker College of Chiropractic in 1999. She has since gained a reputation for developing a novel, non-invasive treatment system for neurologic rehabilitation of chronic pain resulting in breakthroughs for even the most hopeless and severe cases. Her and her team have gained international attention due to their unprecedented success rates in these cases. Kent State University is slated to be involved with the first study of her work starting this year. She is an international speaker and best-selling author of three books, Putting Out the Fire, Taming the Beast, and Wake Up, Miracles of Healing from Around the World. Dr. Katinka practices in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and is the CEO of the Spiro Clinic.
1: Thank you for joining today, starting with a quote by Michio Kaku The human brain has 100 billion neurons, each neuron connected to 10,000 other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. Please help me welcome Dr. Robert Malillo. He is one of the world's most sought after and respected experts in developmental functional neurology, brain imbalances, hemispheric integration, and the correction of most neurobehavioral disorders and learning disabilities. In 2006, he created Brain Balance Achievement Centers, which has approximately 150 centers and has helped tens of thousands of families. He is a prolific author and brain researcher, and co-authored approximately 20 chapters and other texts on various subjects related to dyslexia, attention, frontal lobe development, and approximately 50 peer-reviewed papers. In addition, Dr. Melillo has also written five best-selling books, including his best-known Disconnected Kids, which has been translated into 10 languages. He has presented at numerous scientific and clinical conferences around the world and has taught his own course in a postgraduate level for over 20 years as an Associate Professor of Developmental Disabilities at National University of Health Sciences. Dr. Melillo has multiple graduate degrees in chiropractic, neurology, neuroscience and clinical rehabilitation neuropsychology. He has now created the Melillo Center for Developing Minds and sees patients in private practice all over the globe, both adults and children. Welcome, Dr. Melillo.
2: Thank you for that introduction. It's it's a pleasure to be here.
1: You know, I believe that if you have a big why, you make a big difference in this world, and you certainly have a big why, and I'm so honored to speak to you. I'm gonna delve right in. What causes brain imbalances?
2: You know, that's a good question, and uh, my third book, Uh, autism the scientific truth is really an attempt at trying to understand what causes you know neurological developmental issues like autism there's a combination of what we call epigenetic or environmental and genetic causes but most of it is environmentally based and and most of it has to do with really the complexity of the way the brain develops the Asymmetry of the human brain the fact that the right brain and the left brain are very different in functioning and Do different things and are functionally asymmetric is very very important It's a real key feature of the human brain and the way that develops is primarily that the right brain develops first and in the womb and for the first three years and then for the next three years the left brain takes the lead in development During those times, it's mostly what we call non-genetic factors or environmental factors that shape the brain and shape the right brain during those first three years based on experiences and interactions. And then the left brain is shaped by different experiences um, that the child will uh, have during those next three years. And that's superimposed on natural traits, meaning that you know, we have family traits that are make us all right brain or more left brain dominant. You know, we have certain families that are much more creative, that are much more in the arts and music and social development. And we have other families that are very intellectual and professors and engineers and scientists. So all those factors come in together and it's a very complex way. And because it's mostly environmental factors and experiences that shape the brain. If there's anything that interferes with that process, either in the womb or outside of the womb, it can slow down development on one side of the brain, which can allow the other side of the brain to come online too early, or it can allow one side of the brain to stay online too long, and the other side comes online too late. Or it may be that there's a reverse in one that the left brain comes online first, and the, then then the right brain. So there's a lot of different factors that come into play. And all of those can ultimately lead to what we look at simply is called brain imbalances. So
1: Dr. Malilla, I think you would agree with me that often sick children will become sick adults. And in my case, I often look at a patient, and I wish I could have met them as a child. And I've intervened then, how do brain imbalances relate to chronic pain or complex pain syndromes in your opinion?
2: Well, you know, when we look at, you know, because the first part of my career was really in the pain world, you know, starting out my career as a chiropractor, even though, you know, I got my diplomate in neurology early on, a lot of it was, you know, looking at things like what we called back then RSD or complex regional pain syndrome now you know what we look at is even in you know psychology and neuropsychology we realize that most adult mental health issues start in childhood and i think a lot of chronic pain issues really start in childhood as well because we look at imbalances in the brain and the nervous system are usually related to and often caused by imbalances in the body and it starts really in the musculoskeletal and sensory motor systems, and so I think that if we, you know, start as, uh, you know, if we have imbalances in muscle tone and imbalances in our body, many things like retained primitive reflexes can alter tone from one side of our body to the other, starting out early. And I think ultimately those things can lead to imbalances in our spine, imbalances in our body, imbalances in in the muscles and tone of the muscles, which can cause undue wear and tear on joints and tendons and ligaments that can cause too early degeneration. And all of that has an impact on the balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Which ultimately, uh, you know, I think, really feeds into and leads to, you know, the the regional uh, chronic regional pain syndrome, when we know that. There's, you know, commonly an autonomic dysregulation with an overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system, and you know we see that a lot. I mean, children with autism have overactive sympathetic nervous systems. Um, many of the adults that we work with that have developmental issues have, you know, overactive sympathetic nervous systems. So I think that, you know, there's a direct relationship between the way we build our body, the way we build our structure and the way we build our brain. And imbalances in those systems, I think can lead to a wide variety of symptoms and some of them being chronic pain.
1: I 100% agree with you. Would you say that primitive reflexes then is a good starting point for both adults and children?
2: Absolutely. I am in the midst of doing a, um, a very large double blind study over the past 4 years randomized controlled double blind study looking at the relationship between primitive reflexes in children adolescents and adults in autism when we look at you know any age whether you know we're looking at children adolescents or adults in what i teach i always teach doctors that the first thing you look for is primitive reflexes because whatever walks into your office, and again, we can talk about you know, something like chronic pain and chronic you know, regional pain syndrome as being really as much a neurological disorder as anything. And we can look at that and we can say that, that they, they often start in childhood. And so therefore, you know, they could start later on in life, they could be as a result of a horrible accident, but usually they're superimposed on an already existent nervous system and brain. And if we want to know if the brain developed appropriately, if the nervous system developed appropriately, the quickest way to learn that is to see if there are retained primitive reflexes. If there are retained reflexes, then whatever we see in front of us is not the optimal presentation of that individual. Even though they may be very high functioning, it's not optimal. If they don't have primitive reflexes, then whatever we see was probably acquired later on in life, and you know maybe due to other factors.
1: So, Dr. Malillo, uh, just for the benefit of our audience, you and I both know what primitive reflexes are. Uh, What are they? Elevator speech?
2: Yes. Well, you know, when we're born, human brain is the most immature brain on the planet humans as primates we have the largest head per body size but we have the smallest birth canals so our brain more than any other brain grows outside of the womb and it is dependent on environmental stimuli light sound heat temperature uh, movement gravity all of those things are what turn on genes called experience dependent genes that build our brain and the most important environmental stimulus that builds the brain is movement but because our brain is so immature, the the baby the child the infant has no control over movement so we have to be able to move to build our brain and to do things like root and suck and feed and protect ourselves so we are born with these things called primitive reflexes And they mostly come from the brainstem and they are pre-programmed movements that allow the child to move um, and interact with the environment. And as we do that, it allows us to roll over. Actually they first start by helping us birth, The, 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 the primitive reflex help us birth ourselves and help the baby push themselves out of the womb. And then they allow us to roll over, crawl on our belly eventually get up, crawl on all fours, and then eventually get up and eventually walk. And at one year, a child should walk. Um, At that same time, all of the primitive reflexes, um, the last being the Babinski sign that we all kind of know, which is actually a primitive reflex, should go away. And that should leave room for us to have more voluntary control over our movement, allow us to have more complex movement, and that complex movement allows us to interact with our environment in more complex ways which then feeds back to our brain and builds a more complex brain and if we work this way up from the bottom up our brain builds from the bottom up and then eventually builds the brain and the brain kind of grows from the middle out to the front and out to the back and then comes from the top down and regulates everything and it regulates everything we do it regulates you know, every cognitive ability, but it also regulates the immune system. It regulates the digestive system and the autonomic system. It regulates the motor system and our tone and, and sensory system. It regulates our uh, detoxification system, our endocrine system. Everything is regulated by the brain. So it all starts with these pre-programmed movements that are called primitive reflexes. There are somewhere around 30 or 40 but I look at 10 of them as being really foundational. And those are the ones that really we work, we look at, and that we work on. And that if they are retained, they will have a major impact on brain development from that point in time.
1: Thank you. That was a brilliant explanation. Uh, what is the Melillo method in relationship to brain imbalances?
2: Well, I'd say it's a clinical approach that I developed. Um, that really takes all of the science that I've developed in, you know, functional neuroscience, functional neurology, and really puts it into a clinical uh, protocol-based approach. You know, most practitioners uh, like to learn based on protocols. Um, You know, we like to take really complex things and we take complex science, but how do we relate this practically? How do we use this to change our patients. And so what I found throughout the years in teaching is that we I need to take all the science and then turn it into an application, turning it into a, a reproducible application that is systemized, protocol driven, and that uses, you know, functional measurements along the way to be able to guide us to make sure that we're you know, doing the right thing and that we're getting the results that we're hoping to get. So it's, it's, a, it's a method that I've developed that is based on my 30 years of experience that looks at, you know, again, how do we assess for these primitive reflexes? If they're there, if they're retained, what do we do? How do we get rid of them? How do we integrate them? They, when we have retained primitive reflexes, that will always lead to an imbalance in the brain that will always lead to some developmental asymmetry in the brain. And so we need to address that as well. How do we do that? But that is also different in every person. So how do we know how to do things like what kinds of auditory stimulation do we use? What kinds of visual stimulation or eye exercises? Uh, What kinds of exercises will we use, physical exercises? How do we um, intervene if there's a vestibular imbalance, if there's an oculomotor imbalance? And then looking at the you know the functional medicine piece, the biochemistry of it, uh, what does this mean in the autonomic system and if someone has a leaky gut and they have food sensitivities, or if they have hormone imbalances, or if the imbalances within their immune system within let's say th one? So what I've done is I put together a protocol-driven um, methodology that really starts with functional tests. And then from that functional test in all different areas, it leads one to different choices in treatments at different levels. And using that, we, it, it allows the practitioner to guide the patient you know, through an individualized treatment program that is still protocol driven that is gonna get the most effective results that takes all of those things into account and also uses what we call co-activation, meaning it uses multiple modalities at the same time, um, but using them in each modality in a specific way.
1: So besides primitive reflexes, do you have things that you would recommend for children to prevent future chronic pain.
2: Yes. Well, I think, you know, most of the time, you know, if there are retained reflexes, there are almost always absolutely going to be brain imbalances. But we can also have brain imbalances um, in the absence of retained primitive reflexes. You know, most primitive reflexes are going to be affected in the first few years of life, but we can have things that can impact the child later on in life. Um, Later on in their childhood or you know um, Even you know adolescent years that may cause and lead imbalances in the brain Um, and this can lead to imbalances in especially the the parasympathetic and Sympathetic nervous systems and can also cause structural issues So I think that making sure that you know looking at core stability looking at balance uh, looking at balance of all of the systems of the vestibular system are there any head tilts are there rotations are there body tilts uh, what what's the what's the balance of the vestibular apparatus on the right versus the left do they have any ocular motor imbalances in their body any sort of imbalance anywhere in the spine in the vestibular system in the oculomotor system um, in the musculoskeletal system I think leaves someone at risk for chronic pain later on and you know can lead to instability of parts of the body or the spine. So I think, you know, that's also a very, very important thing to look at.
1: And we always come back to the brain. It all starts with the brain. I know I hear this a lot, and I'm sure you do too. And it can be frustrating to hear, but it's valid. Parents will say, Well, my child has a pediatrician. Or an adult would say, you know, neurologists, they would have caught this, surely they know about this, and we know that they don't. But why do you think they don't know about this?
2: Yeah, it's really a shame. Um, I actually just did a conference and I did a lecture to uh, a really great group of neurology and neurology residents in the Institute for Neurology and Neurosurgery down in Cuba, and uh, they, you know, they actually have one of the best neurology departments in the world, and um, they have, you know, residents from all over the world. And you know, I had in part of my discussion with them was we had a really frank discussion as to, you know, you know, what is the difference between let's say what I'm doing and what they're doing. And so, you know, traditional neurology. If you ask the traditional neurologist what they do, which is what I did. They basically say that we're looking at organic, you know, neurological disease. So, what does that mean? It means, you know, brain injury. It means tumors. It means strokes. It means genetic disorders. It means metabolic disorders or, you know, direct brain injury or toxic insult to the brain, neurodegeneration. So, these are the things that they look at. Um, And they're very good at looking at those things. And you know, the, the truth is that most of those things don't have any real cure, so there's not much they can do about them, but, you know, that's what they do. Um, and I asked them, I said, you know, most neurological disorders, though, most disorders that have neurological symptoms, like things like autism, ADHD, um, you know, tics, uh, um you know, things like uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, vestibular, you know, vertigo, um, they don't have any organic illness. There is none. So then what? Who is supposed to deal with that? And, you know, some of them said, well, you know, when you're dealing with mental health, you, you may be psychiatry. And of course, you know, psychiatry, but they don't really deal with you know, then a psychiatrist is going to look at, at, at like, uh, vertigo or vestibular issues, right? They're not going to look at headaches. They're not going to look at, uh, you know, they're really not, not really doing anything. So I think, you know, there's this huge gap where the majority of people suffering from neurological type of symptoms, there is nothing organic about it, especially in the day and age that we have now. You know, where, you know, a lot of this is being promoted because of really lifestyle and, um, you know, people being in front of computers and having poor diet and and poor physical um, activity levels. So there's a big gap there where who is supposed to deal with that? That's what I said. I said, you know. There's nobody dealing with these problems, and I really think I really think traditional neurologists should should know more about these things, and they were actually really open to that. They were like, "Yeah, we'd like to learn more about these things," but they never learn them. Um, and pediatricians just—I think most pediatricians are there to, uh, you know, look for for childhood infectious disease. Um, but it's amazing to me the lack of understanding of actual, even, uh, you know, brain development that the average pediatrician has. Um, you know, I mean, like most of the kids I see, uh, again, they've had some sort of abnormal milestone development, um, but they were told by pediatricians that it was completely normal. So I just, I just think there's a, a tremendous lack of knowledge of, you know, functional development of the brain, the body, and the nervous system. Um, in the traditional medical world, even even amongst pediatric neurologists, or same thing. I mean, they're looking for organic based illnesses, and you know, in most of the things that we deal with, ADHD, OCD, you know, Tourette's, uh, anxiety, autism, there isn't anything organic. There's nothing wrong with the brain. There's no damage. There's no genetic mutation. There's no chemical imbalance. People sometimes talk about a brain injury. There's no injury to the brain. So this is what confuses them. Um, clearly, there are issues, but they have no clue. Their training doesn't give them any basis of how to deal with it.
1: That is a very thorough answer, and I agree with all of it. You know, as you know, they're even changing the milestones now because this is becoming so commonplace and. They don't want people to parents to feel bad, and so they're just simply adjusting the milestones, which to me really is criminal.
2: I agree with you. What they're doing is they're normalizing pathology. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not solving anything. And I don't think it's coincidence that this happened right after COVID because we know anybody that's in it knows that we've seen a sharp, sharp spike in all of these issues post COVID. And I think they knew that that was going to happen, so they figured they'd try to kick the can down the road and deal with the problem later rather than earlier. Um, But you know, you know, the rationale is this: you know, they've they've eliminated crawling. Crawling is no longer a normal milestone, which is unbelievable, right? So, you know, they're telling parents that your child no longer needs to crawl. That's amazing. So for millions of years. You know, um, homo, homo sapiens have been crawling, right? Or, um, and what we see is that, you know, now we no longer need to do that. that that's cr- amazing. But, but the, 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 the rationale is this, is they're just using statistics. They're saying that, you know, 50% of kids no longer crawl in a typical way or more than 50%. So therefore, crawling is no longer normal. Mm. And it's such a backward way of thinking, rather than thinking and saying, well, we see that we have this epidemic rise of neurobehavioral disorders in children. You know, one MIT scientist recently came out saying that they predicted 50% of children will be autistic by 2025. Oh, my gosh. you know, we look at that rise, right? And who knows if that's going to be true? But we see this unbelievable rise of these developmental issues in children across the board. And rather than saying that maybe there's a relationship, why more kids aren't crawling, and why more kids end up with a disability, you know, three, four, five, ten years down the road, or even why more uh, we see a rise in adult mental health issues because adult mental health issues, you know, almost always start in childhood. Um, And it's just such a backward way of thinking. And it's just so clueless. And I think it's, if we didn't have any other reason over the past couple of years to doubt the validity of the FDA and the CDC, I mean, this just just added to it that much more, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. And you and I know we have a wave of chronic pain neurologic disorders developmental disorders coming our way like a tsunami Uh, we talk about it in in our circles all the time dr malillo thank you so much uh you know it's a rock and a pond and the circles go out and you're making a massive difference i'm a huge admirer of your work i hope we make a difference uh to at least one child's life today Change someone's future. We're going to link Dr. Malillo's centers so you guys know how to find one of the doctors that he trained. And hopefully you can fight for yourself and your kiddos and be proactive because no one else is coming to do that for you. Thank you, Doctor Malillo.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Ending with a quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Everything we do, every thought we've ever had is produced by the human brain, but exactly how it operates remains one of the biggest unsolved mysteries, and it seems the more we probe its secrets, the more surprises we find. Thank
0: you for listening today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited about every new person we are able to reach. It is our most sincere hope that our podcast will bring hope to many. If you or someone you love is suffering from chronic pain, please don't lose hope. Visit our website at www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope. That's www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope.